Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Miss Kelly. Take your Bibles and go to Psalms chapter 66 this evening. The book of Psalms and chapter 66. We have been on, Sun, on Wednesday evenings working our way through the book of Psalms. We come this evening to chapter 66, 20 verses. You'll find several familiar verses later on in this chapter. Verses that uh, will strike a very familiar chord to you. Verses like verse number 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But look at verse number 19. But verily God hath heard me and hath attended unto the voice of my prayer. But blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor His mercy from me. We've said over and over about the Psalms that if you really want to understand what the Psalm is about, you should look at the first few verses and you should look at the last few verses. And generally, in the book of Psalms, that these serve as bookends to the chapter. They serve as a way of, of the psalmist saying, this is what I'm about to write about. And then he, he goes on to do so normally in very uh, figurative or uh, imaginative language. And then he comes back toward the end and he kind of normally restates exactly what he said at the beginning. It's certainly true in this psalm. Verse number one, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Sing with honor. Say unto God, verse three, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through thy greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. The psalm is really a psalm about how Israel went through trouble. How Israel went through trouble. And not just how they went through it or necessarily the trouble that they experienced, but how that God showed himself mighty and showed himself purposeful in their trouble. God is the Lord of our hearts. But God is also the Lord of the world. He is not just the God on the inside. He is also the God on the outside. And generally, how God acts in our lives, He acts in us in a way that affects the world around us. But it is also true that God acts in the world around us in a way that causes us to be shaped or molded or affected inside of us. And God does things in us that shape the world around us, but God does things in the world around us that shapes who we are to be on the inside. Job said it like this, man is born for trouble. As, as sparks fly upward, this is what man has to look forward to in his day. 
This is the trouble that we have to look forward to. These are the trials that we have to experience. And it's just as certain as when you light the bonfire, the sparks go upward. It's as certain as that, that you and I will face trouble in this world. But, despite appearances, the trouble we face is never mindless. The trouble we face is never pointless. The trouble we face is never purposeless. There is always a purpose. There is always a reason. There is always something that God is doing in this world. And He's doing a, a thousand somethings over and over and over again in our world, in our hearts, and all of them are working in unison and uniform to bring about inside of us who God wants us to be and how God wants us to respond. The psalm begins then with a simple introduction. It invites all of the nations of the world to praise and honor this God. And then it tells us exactly why we should praise and honor our God. What, what, what should our praise consist of? What should our honor toward God, what should it look like? How is it that we should praise or make His name glorious or exalt Him? What should that look like? Why or where does that come from? That's really verse number 1 to verse number 4. And then verse number 5 down to verse number 7, it is all the people of the nations who are then invited not just to praise God, but to come and see for themselves the very, and then the word is, terrible works of our God. The crossing of the Red Sea. Possibly a, a reference to the city of Jordan. You, you see there in verse number 6, he turned the sea into dry land and they went through the flood on foot. There did we rejoice. And then verse 7, he ruleth by his power forever. Right? So, so he's, he's, the psalmist is saying, man, it's, it's interesting because the way that God brought us into, or, or out of rather, the, uh, out of Egypt was through the crossing of the Red Sea, and then the way God brought us into the Promised Land was through a very similar miracle in the crossing of the Jordan. Isn't it interesting that God parted the waters and brought them out of Egypt, but God parted the waters and took them into the promised land that God did this, and this is the kind of praise that is rightly due our God. And then verse number 8 to verse number 12 is another then invitation. Now that they have gone through this trial, and now that their faith has been tried, and you'll see several references there of silver being tried in the fire. He's, he's making a very pointed image of, uh, or a pointed reference of using a certain image. The way that silver is purified over and over and over again is the same way God is working in your heart and in mine, in your life and in mine, in our world all together, but in our world also individually. Then the last section is really verse number 13 to verse number 20, and the psalmist makes this uh, this individual confession uh, of praising God, giving God, telling God, man, it's our personal responsibility to praise God, our individual responsibility to praise God, our corporate responsibility to praise God together. 
And so what I want to do this evening is just kind of walk through, won't be the three points or four points or however many we end up having, well, not, not the normal way that we approach it, just walk through one verse at a time. We'll begin in verse number one. Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. The psalmist is saying is all the nations of all the world, of all peoples, of all languages, of all tribes, and of all tongues that should praise the name of our God. And you'll notice that praise due to God, a joyful noise due to God, is not something that just the Jewish nations are supposed to do. That praise to God is something that all, both Jewish and Gentile nations are supposed to do. We're all supposed to praise the Lord our God. Why? Because He is the Lord of all. So to avoid very uh, uh, an overly simplistic idea, it's not just Jewish and non-Jewish. That are, it, 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 there's not this identical relationship between Jewish and non-Jewish and Christians and non-Christians. When we get to the New Testament, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. If there's, if there's any joy that goes to God, if there's any praise that goes to God, it goes to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. This is a very important thing to, to make sure we, we specify by saying all the nations should praise God through the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in the Old Testament times, in the Bible times really, you did not have to be a Jew in order to be saved. But in the New Testament times, if you will be saved, you must be saved through Christ and Christ alone. This is really the big argument that we're walking through in the book of Galatians. The Jews are saying that in order to really be saved, you must become Jewish. You must be, you must obey the Jewish laws. And Paul is writing a huge defense of saying justification is by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. You have multiple, you have multiple biblical characters who, who were saved, but were not Jewish. You have men like Naaman, you have the Ninevites, you have, you have Jethro, you have Melchizedek, you have Rahab, and on and on and on you could go throughout the Old Testament of people who had or evidenced saving faith, but that they themselves did not become Jewish. If someone comes to Christ today, they must, or if someone comes to God today, they come to God through Christ and Christ alone. So in that way, we say, make a joyful nation, un, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. All the nations of all times, of all tongue, of all places, of all people will and should make a joyful noise unto God. Of course, the Bible is also clear that there is coming a day in which every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. In that sense, the psalmist is speaking prophetically. 
He's saying this is, this is what will happen, and so what should happen. <laughs> this is what we will do, and so before you get to that day in which we all will do this, we should right now in this time, in this day, choose to do this. Make a joyful noise unto God. Look at verse number two. Sing forth the honor of his name and make his praise glorious. So God's name should be honored. This is what we would understand. Reverenced. God's name should be revered. God's name should be honored. And his praise or praise of his name should be glorious. It should be well done. God, when we speak of God, we should speak of him in a way that is rightly do his name. That is proper in regards to his character, in regards to his nature, in regards even to his deeds. We should speak of God in a way that is glorious, or that is honoring, or that is reverent, or that is excellent, or that is simply true. Because God is all of these things. God is glorious. God is honored. God is reverence. God is these things. And so when we speak of God, we should speak of him in a way that is rightly due his name. It's an easy application for you and for me. We should refrain. We should keep from using the name of the Lord or taking the name of the Lord in vain. This should not be a common practice among believers. Should we refrain from using the name of God or using the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that's degrading or derogatory in terms of who they are? Should avoid saying phrases like, oh my God. Those things, that, should not, that should not be on the believer's lips. Should not use God's name as a throwaway. Should not use God's name as just wasted words. It would be even more so to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that's derogatory or simply because something was painful or because something was difficult or in a way of which we were cursing or belittling someone else. That we should not use the name of the Lord in that way. God's name should be honored and his praise or when we talk about him should be glorious. We should use God's name only in a way that makes God who he really is in the eyes of the people that we are talking to. We've said it before, we'll say it again. Worship is telling God who he is and praise is telling others about who our God is. Well, worship is directed to God and about God. Praise is directed to others about our God. So when we say, man, we want to praise our God, what are we saying? What we're saying is we want to tell you how great and good and big and excellent, and in this sense, terrible or awesome, our God is because of all of the things that he's done for us. So in that sense, God's, or praise of God's name then, so when we talk to others about God, that praise should be Glorious. Glory is a very interesting word in the Bible. You, you find it used in different ways, but it, generally, when you find the word glory in the Bible, it's used as a way to, to, uh, uh, it, 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 to define weight or significance. So, so talk about God in a way that is rightly due his name, that is as significant as he is. Simply to understand, do not belittle God in your conversation about God. 
I don't use references about God that belittles him in any sort of a way. I think you probably got the point. So moving on then, verse 3. is say unto God, How terrible art thou in thy works! Through the greatness, or through the greatness of thy power, shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. So people are invited then to acknowledge directly how terrible our God is. And I'm not terrible in the sense of ugly or, or wicked or bad or awful, not terrible in that sense. Terrible in the sense of awe-inspiring. Terrible in the sense of great. Terrible in the sense of all struck, right? Uh, we, we would understand the word in this verse, terrible. We would understand it not as in a negative way, not as in something bad, but as in a positive way or something, something right. We would understand it as awesome. That's what he's saying. Say unto God, how awesome art thou in all thy works. So he's, so he's telling you what you should say to God. This is the refrain on the lips of all those who are giving glory or giving praise to God in a way that is as significant as God is. Look at verse number 4. And all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name, Selah. All the earth should worship God. All the earth will one day worship God. All of the earth should worship God. This is what we should be doing right now. All of the earth will one day worship God. Look at verse number 5. Come and see. Okay, so earlier it was listen and hear. Here's what we say now. Now he's saying, verse 5, come and see the works of God, for he is terrible in his doing toward the children of men. He's awesome in how he moves and interacts, how he accomplishes how he works out in our lives these things. Verse 6, He turned the sea into dry land and went through the flood on foot, and there did we rejoice in him. He turned the sea into dry land. Israel entered the wilderness on, on dry land. Israel left the wilderness on dry land. They entered it the same way they left it. And in that sense, he's saying, Man, come and see. Look what God did for us, and we should rejoice in this. And we did rejoice in it. We did rejoice. There was this time in our lives where we saw all the miraculous ways in which God delivered, in which God worked, and the ways in which God provided. This is true of our past, so this should also be true now. Verse 7, He ruleth by His power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves Selah. God rules the nation, nations, in his power. God rules the nations in his power. Good news, there is not a nation on planet earth, past, present, or future, that is outside of the infinite power of our God. Not North Korea, not Syria, not Saudi Arabia, not America. God rules in the affairs of all mankind everywhere. And all of the nations are subservient unto the power of our God. God rules in His power. God can do this because God's power is an infinite power. That is to say that if God wants to do something, 
He can. That if God chooses to do something, He will. And there is nothing that will prevent him from doing so because he is not limited in any way by any resource or from any resource. Okay, so, so think, think of this true. It is, it is true. You cannot do anything you want to do. You are very limited in your power. You are not, you're not infinite in your resources so that you can just go do whatever you want. You can go, you can, inf you could, you could affect, or I was going to say infect, I guess that could be true as well, but you could affect anything. It's not true. You do not have those sorts of reasons. You might do it on a small level, in small ways, at different times or different seasons, but you do not have infinite resource, infinite power to affect whatever it is that you so choose to, but God does. Which, simply to say, whatever God chooses to do, God does do. And God is not bound in any way, at any time, in anything. That's true of your health. That's true of your finances. That's true of your relationships. That's true of your parents. That's true of your children. That's true of your grandchildren. That's true of elections. That's true of presidents and kings and empires and nations. That's true of it all. That whatever God chooses to do, God can do because he is that great and powerful. We should constantly be reminded of the infinite power that our God has. Look at verse 8. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise be heard. So make sure that your praise of this God is loud enough, large enough, broad enough, known enough to be heard by all those around you. That speaks of a word of the testimony or the witness that we should be having in our world. That men may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Look at verse 9. Which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth not our feet to be moved. That God holds our soul in life. He keeps our feet from moving. He keeps us steady. He holds us up. He keeps us from collapsing. If we do not collapse, it's because God is the one who kept us from collapsing. If we do not break under the weight, it is because God is the one who supported us up, not because we ourselves were creative or crafty or smart or talented or skilled in any way. If we do not collapse, if we do not move, it is simply and only a tribute to the great good nature of our God. So verse 10, For thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver. So now he's, God, you, de you delivered us, you brought us through, you kept us up, you supported us. God, you were powerful in that you delivered us, you brought us in through a miracle, you took us out through a miracle. But then, look at verse 10, the tone changes, verse 10, but you have proved us. For thou hast tried us as silver. How did that test look? Look at verse 11. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Verse 12. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou broughtest us out into a 
wealthy place. So God tests us. That test proved them, in particular, to be pure silver. That testing included some net of some sort in which they were caught, they were trapped. It included some sort of oppression. That's the imagery where thou broughtest them over our head. It it speaks to like this, they were more powerful than we are. They were stronger than we are. We were subservient to them. They were above us. We were below them. And we'll talk more about this next week, Lord willing. But really the references all here are to the spoils of war. There was very, very specific instruction given in Leviticus and Numbers that when the children of Israel went and did battle and they were victorious, they could not just pick up whatever they found in battle. They couldn't pick up the spoils from battle. They couldn't pick up what was left over, the gold, the silver, whatever it is. They couldn't just pick it up and bring it into their camp. But when they picked it up, they had to bring it into the camp. And whatever could be passed through fire, so if it was gold or silver, they could pass it through the fire and thus purify it, and then they could use it. But if it was a material that could not be passed through the fire, then they had to wash it. Right? So think like hand sanitizer, right? Gentile nations who were pagan, you have the very, very early civilizations, they were dirty, and God is saying, you pick this up, you don't just bring it in your house and sit it on your counter, no, you, you pick it up and you wash it and you clean it and you try it, and then you can bring it in and sit it on your counter, right? Well, why? Because who knows how, what kind of contamination is on it, that's why. So in that sense, David is using a reference and he's saying, God, just like we go into battle, we do war, we win, we pick up the spoils of war, and we try them by fire, we try them by water, and then we set them up and use them. God, this is what you did to us. That we were the spoils of war. You won for us. You conquered death, hell, and the grave. But also you brought us through fire and water to try us, to test us. So where are we? Verse number 14, my lips have uttered, my mouth hath spoken when I was in trouble. So the psalmist is now saying he's, he's in trouble. Look at verse 15, I will offer up unto thee burnt offerings and sacrifices of fatlings and incense of rams, and I will offer bullocks with goats, Selah. So he's making a very, he's making a very you know, don't get lost in the imagery, but he's basically saying, God, I'm offering to you through this sacrifice, through this vow, the very best that I have. By the way, God should always get your best, not your leftovers. So then he says, verse 16, come in here. Interesting, earlier on he said, come and see. Now he says, come in here. Come in here, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my Soul. Verse 17, I cried unto him with my mouth, he, and, and he was extolled with my tongue. So David is saying this is a very personal testimony to how God answered my prayer or when God answered my prayer. Verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Write this down. Heart integrity is essential to answered prayer. Heart integrity is essential to answered prayer. And David's heart is proven to be full of integrity. This is why verse number 19, but God hath heard me and hath attended unto the voice of my prayer. So God heard him, which proved that David's prayer was an honest one. Then verse 20, blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer nor his mercy from me. So a word of application, then we're done. 
in the scripture, there is never a jab given to someone who, when they go through a time of trouble, that during that trouble, they turn to God. The scripture never derides someone for this. If someone's caught in a storm, if they're in the middle of the sea, and they turn to God and they say, God, please, would you deliver me? I'll believe you now. I'll trust you now. I'll live for you now. God, please do not allow me to die in the storm. God, I will do whatever you want for me to do if you just get me through the trouble. The Scripture never jabs at someone or speaks negatively about someone who does this. We speak negatively about that. We even use phrases where there's no, no atheist in foxholes, right? We say that. We speak negatively about people who do these things, but the Bible or God never does. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse number 3, Jehoshaphat is in trouble. He makes a point who, while he is in trouble, to turn to the Lord. He did not turn to the Lord before trouble. He only turned to the Lord because there was trouble. So in turning to God, God then hears Jehoshaphat's prayer and then delivers him. There's only, there's only two problems when you turn to God during your trouble. First is that when you go through trouble, you refuse to turn to God. You think God will turn you away. God will not listen to you. And you turn to some other God. You look to some other resource. You find someone else as your Savior. You find some other means. And listen, the arm of flesh will fail you. So any, any other God, any other resource, any other fail-safe, you go through trouble, any other fail-safe other than God will let you down. So you have two options. You face trouble. You don't turn to God at all. You turn to some other God. You have financial problems. You don't turn to God. Instead, you pursue worldly wisdom and you just start swiping the card. So first, you refuse to seek God at all. Because you assume that God will not hear you. The second option is that you turn to God. But here's what the psalmist is saying. If you turn to God and you make a vow to God while you are in trouble, if you say to God, God, deliver me from this and I will live for you. God, spare him from this and we will, as a family, serve you. God, deliver my child from that and I will do this, whatever it is. I will do this for you. That if you turn to God and if you make a vow in your turn and then God delivers you, he will hold you to your vow. The scriptures and God never mock men or women who turn to God simply because they are in trouble. In fact, you can make the argument from the Bible that this is what trouble is for. Trouble is designed by God for us to turn us to Him. Trouble is designed by God for us to cause us to turn to Him. So Jehoshaphat makes a point. He turns to the Lord 
And then turning to the Lord is commended. That was the right thing to do. And when you are in trouble and you do turn to the Lord, God honors that. But if God delivers you from your trouble, then like the end of this psalm says, you should then give a testimony to the effect that God and God alone delivered you. Fulfill your vow. Honor Him. Say it the way it is. I was in trouble. I turned to God. God heard me. God delivered me. And God alone gets all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. It was not my creativity. It was not my savviness. It was not my awesomeness. It was not me. It was God and God alone. This is what the psalmist said. Turn to God in your trouble. This is a good thing to do. But when you turn to God and God delivers you, then honor God on the other side of that deliverance. As some in the room are standing in front of trouble, and you're wrestling, and you're wrestling, and you're wrestling right now in your soul of what you will do with your trouble. The cry from Psalm 66 is, turn to God. He has infinite power. And God does what He wants. He is in no way restricted. And turn to God and refuse to turn to other gods and be obedient to Him and realize that the trouble God has designed is to cause you to turn to Him anyway. And God does not frown on you and me for turning to Him in trouble. God is never put out. God never looks at you and looks at me and goes, Oh, you're here again? Didn't I just get you out of this? God never does that. You and I do that, but God never does. And God invites us, Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. And God is working around us to shape that in us. And God is working in us to shape that around us so that we would go to him in our time of trouble. What a great song by Kelly. I lifted up my eyes to the hills. That's where my help came from. Came from the Lord. Is that what you're testifying of in your life? Is that what you're testifying of at your office? Is that what you're testifying of with your family? Is that what you're testifying of with your coworkers and neighbors? Is that what you're testifying of here in this very church? Is that what you're testifying of in the middle of your doctor's office? Thanks, doc. You did a great job. We could have made it without you. But let me tell you, you did not heal me. God did. That is the refrain on the lips of a believer. Is that on your lips? It should be. And it should be on mine. 